everybody. Welcome to Fully Puffed, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grace, and I'm here with my co-host, Catherine. Hello. And today we are going to discuss season one, episode 15, Christopher Returns. So we're going to start off as we usually do with an episode summary. And if you'll remember from last episode, Christopher had just gotten here and we pick off in this one a few hours after the last episode ended. Lorelai and Rory are making a bed on the couch for Christopher, who is going to stay at their house. Rory is really excited about Christopher staying with them, but Lorelai cautions her that she should not expect too much from him. Christopher and Lorelai get the chance to talk alone, and he tells Lorelai that his new business is going well and that he wants to be more of a presence in Rory's life. Lorelai is pretty skeptical about the business based on Christopher's long history of similar ventures and tells him that she's always kept the door to Rory open to him, but that he's hardly ever used it. The next day, Rory tours Christopher around Stars Hollow, where he meets many of the residents and goes to a softball game past Al's Pancake World and to Andrew's bookstore. There, Christopher promises to buy Rory the Oxford English Dictionary she wants, but when his credit card is declined, they have to leave the store without anything. Emily calls and invites both Christopher and his parents, who Rory and Lorelai haven't seen since Rory was a baby, to that week's Friday night dinner. That dinner ends up being a total disaster, with Christopher's father, Strobe, attacking Lorelai and saying that she ruined Christopher's life. Richard grabs Strobe, rages at him, and kicks him out of the house. However, when Lorelai goes to thank Richard, he tells her that he didn't do it to protect Lorelai, but because a member of his family and the Gilmore family named was being attacked, and that this doesn't mean that all of the hell Lorelai put he and Emily through over the past 16 years has been resolved. Lorelai, who's pretty devastated by all of this, goes out to the balcony in her own bedroom, and when Christopher finds her there, they take a few shots from his flask and then have sex. The episode then flashes to Luke's diner, where Luke is waiting for Lorelai, who promised to help him paint the diner that night, but has accidentally stood him up. Meanwhile, Emily comforts Rory, telling her that whatever she heard that night, she and her existence are not at all a mistake. And Lorelai has much of the same conversation with Rory when they get home. The next morning, Lorelai wakes up and realizes that she missed her painting night with Luke. She runs over to the diner to apologize, but Luke is clearly very hurt. When she comes back, Christopher surprises her by proposing, though Lorelai insists that they can't get married because Christopher isn't mature enough and they don't know each other as adults. When Christopher says they should start getting to know each other now, Lorelai asks him to tell her the truth about how his business is going, and Christopher has to admit that it's a failure. As Christopher gets ready to leave, he has Rory ask Lorelai to marry him one more time, though through a coded message about Metallica and the offspring. But Lorelai says no again. Rory, who's realized what's up, asks Lorelai why she and Christopher can't be together, and it's clear that this is what Rory really wants. Lorelai reiterates that Christopher isn't mature enough for any of this and that he's not ready to take her and Rory on full-time. When Rory asks Lorelai if she loves Christopher, Lorelai says she'll probably always love him, but that the timing isn't right. Rory insists that it seemed like things were really different this time, and Lorelai says that maybe she's right and that they won't put all the blankets away just in case. The episode ends with Luke arriving at the diner, where he finds that Lorelai has done the whole paint job that morning. They reconcile, and Luke asks where Christopher is. Lorelai says that he left and that they'll be fine. The episode ends with Luke and Lorelai bantering as the scene fades out. 
Personally, this is one of my favorite episodes of the season. I think it might be my favorite, but it's also one that if you couldn't tell from the episode summary is really difficult to watch because of all the very well written, but emotionally devastating (laughs) scenes. What do you think about it? Yeah, same. It's one that I tend to skip because I don't do well with conflict. <laughs> um, I like that's not why I watch Gilmore Girls. <laughs> yeah, but it's so good, and it's one of those where like it really, really pushes the plot forward. Yes. Yeah, you get so much information about Lorelai's past, her relationship with Christopher, yeah. fleshes out her relationship with her parents. Like, for me, what I love about it is that you really get everything that Gilmore Girls can possibly give you. Like, you get family drama with the Gilmores. You get town stuff. You get Lorelai romance stuff. You get the relationship between Lorelai and Rory. Like, they really pack everything that makes the show the show into this one episode. Yeah. And the town stuff is so cute and fun. And I feel like... I don't know. We'll talk about this when we talk about the scene at the softball game with Kirk and then the scenes with like Jackson and, and Andrew. But I feel like this is maybe our first episode that really starts to lean into kooky town, like kooky town yes. people. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too. I was like, oh, I, w- I could watch when I was thinking about the softball game. I was like, I could watch episodes and episodes of this. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's what Gilmore Girls becomes. <laughs> the seasons, you know, I mean, I yeah. basically everything post this season are so enjoyable. Because it's like that, plus the emotional stuff. This feels like an episode of season two or later. Yeah. And everything feels very tightly written too, which I like a lot. So on that note, nothing too interesting, but this was directed by Michael Cattleman. We've talked about him before. It seems like he did a lot of WB shows back in the day, like Smallville. I think I talked about the show once before, but True Calling, which I don't remember ever watching. I don't know what it was about, but I remember it. Apparently, written principle. Yeah. Like True Calling, Everwood. There were so many shows that were like in the air. But then he also just recently did the live action Cowboy Bebop. That, according to Evo, was a flop, but I don't know. (laughs) But it's cool that he did it. (laughs) It's cool that he gave him the opportunity. He tried. Um, Really, that's all we can ask from ourselves. Yes. But most importantly, it was written by Daniel Palladino which is why I think maybe we're really getting some of that town stuff because I feel like that's what he really loves to write. I agree with you completely. It's interesting because I didn't look up who wrote this, but it makes complete sense. It's a Dan Palladino episode. I assumed it would be an Amy and Dan because it has so, she loves writing like the scenes of conflict between Lorelai and her parents. But I think that Daniel Palladino does a really great job on his own writing that stuff, apparently judging from this episode. Yeah, and in fact- There have been a few times I've said this on the pod, but, you know, sometimes when I look up an episode, like on the Gilmore Girls Wiki or just on Wikipedia, it will give me one writer. And then later when I go, if I look up on IMDb, it adds that writer and Amy Sherman Palladino. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think obviously she's like heavily involved, but like according to Wikipedia, (laughs) it was (laughs) Sam Palladino. (laughs) I love Wikipedia. I'm an ardent Wikipedia defender. So should we jump into mm-hmm. that? Yeah, let's do it. Because there's so much here. So yeah. hold open. There's so much. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I've been waiting to talk about this one for a long time. So the cold open, Rory and Lorelai are making a bed on the couch for Christopher, as we said. And I really like the decision to pick off where, right where the last episode ended. I think this is like maybe the only time Gilmore Girls does this. Maybe like one other time it happens. 
Yeah. Does Gilmore Girls do to be continued ever? No, but now that I'm thinking about it, the only time I can think is in the season four finale when Rory, spoiler alert, sleeps with Dean. It ends with Lorelai and Rory having an argument and then it picks up like from Dean's perspective before the episode ends in season five. I love it. It's so good. I love like the experimental let's give another thing but i think maybe when rory steals the boat in season six they do something like that but i i don't think it's quite as like close of a pickup as that later one is yeah i mean they're ma- like the last two episodes of the show might have been to be continued but i don't know like to be continued seems so it always seemed really like cheesy i hate to, to be continued. yeah i was actually surprised when the episode started i restarted it because i thought because both me and my father-in-law have watched the show so many times. Sometimes you'll like. Right. It'll be through already. Somebody else is watching it in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I was just, I was like, oh, I was already watching this. I tried to rewind and I was like, oh no, that's right. This episode opens in the middle of this scene when they're already at the house. It's funny because I have a similar thing happen. Like I always think that I'm like, oh, this is part of the previous episode. And then I'm always like, when the credits roll, I'm like, oh, the next episode already started. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was fully prepared. And I, do, you know, I don't know if you guys talked about this, but I, one of my least favorite, like, all-time low Gilmore Girls moments, I hate the take your top off. Uh, Ooh, I, I hate that. We didn't talk about it that much, but it, it, I, I'm sure Evo would agree. It's gross and weird. <laughs> it's so weird. It seems very out of character also for Christopher. And I, I just, I don't know. I think it's, I always thought it was like, so it was not the way to win Christopher, uh, <laughs> like, make like me care about this character, which, which I don't know, maybe that was kind of the point. But I was, like, prepared today to start talking about how crappy of a character introduction I think that is. And so it totally, totally threw me for a loop that it starts with them making up the couch bed. Yeah, and I think to that point, the version of Christopher we get in this scene is like much more likable, but still retains those qualities of characterism throughout the show of like impulsiveness and flightiness. And those qualities are conveyed through his dialogue with Lorelai, which I think is much more effective than the take your top off. thing. Yes. Yeah, the scene is so, I mean, it's that like Gilmore Girls ambiance that we love, the fire, yep. the candles, blankets, very Higa, like yes, and coziness. Like, Lorelai looks great sitting next to Christopher. I love their body language here. I think that they do a yeah. lot, not only through the dialogue, but through, like, their actual facial expressions towards each other and their body language that conveys that they've known each other for that long. Like, you can just tell from the way they respond to each other and look at each other that they have known each other for, like, 100,000 years. Yeah. And it's also, like, it makes you understand why Christopher would want to be a part of this life you know it's very inviting and cozy and yeah that's such a good point and you're almost like wow it's crazy that he hasn't come here before because one of the things you learn about in this scene is that Christopher has never been to Stars Hollow before apparently they've like only seen him at like family Christmas functions or something like that though I'm not sure whose Christmas functions they are because they're not Strobe and Francine's because Rory hasn't seen them in forever so I don't know. I, know. I wondered about that too. Yeah. Do you think it was like Richard and Emily's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they act like such Christopher fans. Yes. That it must be. Yeah, maybe one year like they flew out to California with him or something like that. Yeah, no, that's He's a really def- good point. I didn't even think about that. 
Yeah, he's definitely never been there, though, which is always struck me as a little bizarre. But I get how it works narratively for the show. Because it's not very realistic that he's, like, never been there once. But I'll buy it for the sake of storyline stuff. <laughs> and then so we also get the idea that, like, Christopher is forever searching and slash can't keep a girlfriend slash perennially dumps women because Rory asks how <laughs> Diane is doing. And Christopher reveals that they broke up even though he had said that she was the one the last time he saw him. And uh, I love Laura. <laughs> expression she makes here I've never noticed it before she makes like a little eye roll when he says that like behind his back and it's not even like one to Rory it's like she's you can tell she's thinking to herself like oh of course yeah (laughs) I also love Lorelai's insistence on calling Christopher out when he's talking about how stuff with his company is finally like for real this time and going well it's it feels very Lorelai yeah I was like Kind of. I mean, I'm not a Christopher fan. I will have to. Nor am I. I'll have to. I'll just say that again, though, at some point, because I, I feel. I don't. Know, I feel bad for him, but that doesn't mean I want them to be together. You know. I just. I don't know. When when she was like blowing him off, I was feeling like, come on, give him a chance. I think Christopher, to me, is at his most likable in this episode. I think like every time he appears, yeah. he's progressively less likable for me to the point where you're in season seven and you're like, Jesus Christ, somebody just get him off screen. But I think that his vulnerability here, especially towards the end of the episode, makes me feel like he's a very well-developed character. Like when Lorelai says, you're not a loser, you're a liar. Like I think that yeah. that is sort of the sense, the essence of Christopher, that he's like the type of person who doesn't want to rock the boat. And he's the type of person who isn't going to tell Richard and Sherb that his business is failing. And he's going to like sit by and take praise. And he's just kind of like flitted from thing to thing. But I think he's also aware of his own weaknesses. And I think that for Lorelai, she's probably just gotten tired of watching him go from like company after company after company and have all these failed ventures. And when you combine that with the fact that he hasn't come visited them ever, I I can see how that would be a little annoying. Yeah. And then, you know, and then to show up unannounced in her town um, is an imposition, you know? It is. Totally agreed. What if they had something to do? Yeah. He's very immature. (laughs) I think that's very, very immature. That's the best way to characterize Christopher. He's immature. And as Emily says in season five, she's like, you've always been weak. And I think that that fundamentally is another Christopher trait too. Like he's, he's not a bad person, but he's a weak person. Yeah. But I think that I really like yeah. him here. And I think that you can really, like, he and Lorelai really work together super well. And they do throughout the show as far as, like, on a chemistry level. As weird as we now know David Sutcliffe is, <laughs> they have great chemistry. So, <laughs> yeah. No, I just wanted to make a joke that I was, like, trying to think of episode names. And I was like, the worst one would be The Door to Rory. <laughs> It's one that like it's not like a bad YA. It really does. It also it sounds like the bridge to Terabithia or something like that. <laughs> the door to Rory. The door to Rory. There is <laughs> I want to point out one very good line in this scene, which is that I don't think that Lorelai is intentionally trying to be mean here, but she delivers the biggest roast of Dean that's like humanly possible. Christopher yeah. hears Rory talking about like how she wants to go watch Dean play softball. And he's like, she has a Dean. Lorelai's like, she has a Dean. Christopher goes, how did this happen? And then Lorelai says, well, a single cell organism crawled out of the primordial ooze. And that pretty much led to Dean. 
yeah, I think I don't know. Is it supposed to be mean? I always just took it as mean, but like calling him stupid. <laughs> it's insanely mean. It's insanely accurate. But I'm always like, she can't have like been that intentional with it because we know she doesn't like hate Dean. She likes Dean. So I don't know. Maybe That's she just true. thinks he's an idiot though. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. we, you know, we've, we've talked about this. We'll continue to talk about this, about how I feel that Amy Sherman Palladino like is, blindly pro Dean and I don't understand why maybe this was Daniel Palladino's like attempt to get a little dig in (laughs) I love that can we like pursue this conspiracy theory further as we go throughout the episode like the show I love that idea like actually Dean sucks I'm gonna make the characters say it (laughs) so we then get you know cut to Christopher and Rory going to Dean and Luke's softball game which you know my theory was that we started like jock dean car dean dean is a bro that started with um his friendship with uh, what, what's his name his name oh my god is it kyle oh man how could i think is it kyle, kyle? yeah no 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 kyle is the hook his hook hand friend this what's this guy's name you guys know who we're talking about from the double date episode double date Hi. The kid with the Fugazi shirt who loves yeah. Beethoven. You know him. Go back and listen to that one. Yeah. So, yeah, my theory is that that is when Dean started to change. Grace's theory was perhaps the fumes from working on the car. <laughs> the Dean lead poisoning hypothesis. Yes. Mine was just bad influence. But uh, <laughs> but so now we're like easing into Dean being more of a jock, which is not how he was um, originally portrayed. As you noted, the scene feels like a classic Stars Hollow scene. We get our first, I think, real introduction to like Kirk as he will yes. become Kirk. <laughs> he is spending his Saturday morning heckling the softball players. And that's quintessential Kirk to me. Like that is. <laughs> yeah. No, we can't condone Kirk's homophobia, but I think it is a product of the time. Yeah, and it's not, you know, it's not that bad. What does he say? It's, it's. I mean, it's yeah. more like sexist, I would say. He's like, does yeah, your wife play, or no, does your husband play softball too? It's like, you play like a girl. Yeah. Yeah. No good. No good. That way. No good. No, no, no. I do think it's really funny, though, that he calls him alfalfa. <laughs> it's like, I'm just dumbing it down for you, alfalfa. <laughs> and then I always liked that they made like Scott Patterson suck at baseball or softball because Scott Patterson was a minor league baseball player for like many, many years. And I like he was signed to the Yankees too. And I think he was on like the highest level of minor leagues. So it's I think it's a funny little in-joke there that they have him like in the softball game, but they make him not very good. Yeah, I forgot about that. Like I thought when you said that earlier, I thought that was news to me. And then I was like, no, I think I knew that. But I always think of him, by the way, you know, he and Lauren Graham were both on Seinfeld. They were both like had yes! one. That they were like each was like was he one of Elaine's boyfriends? Yeah, yeah. Anything more about the softball game, or just move on to Michelle and? Let's move on. I think I think I'm good about this one. So then Lorelai walks in on Michelle and Suki at the inn, having a rare pleasant moment together. Which immediately turns sour when Lorelai points out that she has never seen them enjoying themselves together before. <laughs> I don't have anything to add. I just think the scene is adorable. It's so cute. It's one of it's my favorite, favorite Suki and Michelle moments. 
I haven't been much of a contributor to the fashion stuff. So I will make my little comment here. I do not know how I feel about Lorelai's like white turtleneck, lizardy headband and dark pants combo. I don't know how I feel about it. I went back and forth. Yeah, it gave me pause as well because she's got a lot of really good looks in this episode. And then this one is is weird. I'm not a turtleneck hater. I love I love a turtleneck. I love a, a good Elizabeth Holmes ensemble. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I feel like there's something like constricted. Like, I don't know. She just looks like she's being like strangled by it or something. And I say that on purpose because I think all the other looks in this episode, like she's got some great casual looks. Yes. And I feel like it's showing her like being free and she looks super young. I'm thinking specifically of like, I love her dinner outfit. I love her like jean jacket, like hoodie kind of combo at the end. And then her painting outfit, super cute minus the bandana. Um, (laughs) But this one, it just, like, I don't know, I, I do feel like there's something happening with the costuming that's, like, portraying that she's feeling kind of, like, smothered or, you know what I mean? I like that. I really like that reading, and I think you're right. It's not like they're dressing her poorly throughout the episode. This is made to stand out. And it's a moment where she's feeling confused about how she feels about Christopher and, and you know, sort of stressed about the whole thing. So maybe that's why it's happening. I love reading costuming yeah. choices as comments on characters, like, emotional states. That's one of my favorite things to do. It's just, it, stru- it stuck out to me. And then when you mentioned it stuck out to you, I thought, okay, the- this is weird then. It is deliberate. Yeah. On that note, I want to talk about Lorelai trying to figure out how Christopher appearing makes her feel. Because I think the way she describes their relationship in this yeah. scene works like to explain their dynamic throughout the show. So she says that... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they hear from him so rarely and he's so flaky But then he shows up and smiles and, quote, and it's Christopher. No matter how many years go by, no matter how many years I don't see him, when I do, it's Christopher. This man knows all my secrets. All of my bad girl moments happen with him. My worst fashion choices, my big hair days, my wearing my Bonnie Bell lip smackers around my neck. It was all with Christopher. And I think that pretty much explains it for the rest of the show for me. Like, this is why she keeps you know, thinking about him and not necessarily super being able to move on from him. It's why she'll call him at her bachelorette party. (laughs) And it's interesting to, to to juxtapose that with what she says later in the episode at the end, when he asks her to marry him. And she's like, we don't even know each other as adults. Because I think that's always the problem with Christopher. Like they, they have such a connection through the past and they know who each other were so well but they really don't have any sense of who the other one is now. And that's fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I I love that line, like all my bad girl moments happened with him, especially, and then we'll talk about this later, but especially because then when you get to dinner with the Gilmores, the memories that they bring up are these really sweet childhood memories, like what Richard and Emily are bringing up. Yes. So we get to see like the full spectrum of that relationship, but it wasn't just like, wild teens (laughs) I like the idea that they've been friends since childhood because I think so much of what we get from like the way Lorelai and Christopher talk about their relationship is that they were like bad teenagers together but I love the idea that they were also like really adorable kids yes yeah for sure you know what I like about this scene too is I get this sense like Suki's like pressing Lorelai for information but it's not like 
to be gossipy. She's actually like, what are your feelings? Like, how are you feeling about this? And I love that support. Me too. I think this is a great Suki and Lorelai friendship episode, especially when contrasted with the way the rest of the townspeople, <laughs> Jackson included, are responding to Christopher, which is like super gossipy, which is a good segue into the next scene. So Rory's giving Christopher a tour around Stars Hollow, which is, I think, a great move, Daniel Palladino, because it gets to show, you get to show the audience all those cute little Stars Hollow quirks and stuff. And we get our first, most importantly, we get our first yes. definitive description of Al's Pancake World. Yes, I was waiting for this and I was so excited. <laughs> says, what Rory says is that Al used to make pancakes, but then he switched to international cuisine. And that last month he did a salute to Paraguay. And Christopher asks, did anyone salute back? And Rory says, not really. <laughs> And that like that he kept the name Al's Pancake World because he just ordered all these like business cards. (laughs) Like like, they had just arrived. It doesn't not make sense. Like fair, you know? Yeah. (laughs) You don't want to have to order new ones. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We run into Miss Patty, who I'm like obsessed with her purple like shawl that's glittering in the sun. So good. So classic Miss Patty. Yeah. And uh, yes, because it's Miss Patty, she blatantly hits on him saying, you know, we're all like Rory's parents around here. And I'm one of her mothers. And since you are her father, that would make us a couple. A couple of what? I don't know. (laughs) That's like one of the most classic Miss Patty lines of all time. Like, If you want to distill Miss Patty's essence down to one scene, it's this one right here. And she will continue hitting yes. on Christopher throughout the series. That is one of the constants of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> also, she then, like after Christopher and Rory walk away, Miss Patty whips out her cell phone and calls presumably the rest of the town, including Taylor, who they then run into, and who also <laughs> makes a call on his phone after they walk away. So there's this whole secret Stars Hollow like gossip network that is monitoring Christopher around town. I love it. I love like the like literal game of telephone that's going on. You're right. It is a literal game of telephone. Oh, nice job. I love that. (laughs) So yeah, they walk into the bookstore where Christopher meets Jackson and Andrew, who runs the bookstore. You claim that he introduces himself as Jackson Melville. It's like established Gilmore Girls like lore that he's Jackson Melville here, but then he's Jackson Belleville later. And like his official last name becomes Belleville. I think you could hear it either way, but so many people have said that they hear Melville that I've started to hear Melville. <laughs> I want to go back. I didn't notice that at all. Luckily, I'm sure we will be rewatching this episode many times in our life. And you will be rewatching it now because even though you skip it, you will you will have a reason to to tune in. I also, so they theorize about who Christopher looks like. Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Billy Crudup. I don't know. Who do you think he looks? Do you think he looks like any of them? I mean, I get the general sense of like good looking, good bone structure, kind of handsome, generically handsome guy. I definitely do not get a Brad Pitt vibe. No. Brad Pitt. No. no. I mean, no. <laughs> and then, like, okay. I had to choose out of the three, probably Clooney, but Christopher does not also seem that like debonair, which yes. brings me to Crudup, Crudup, whatever. But 
I am obsessed with Almost Famous. I've seen it more times than I can count. And I'm obsessed with him in that movie. He plays the lead singer of the band. And I think that like in my mind, because I've seen it so many times, like Billy Crudup is not a person. He is just that character. And he's very hot. And so, (laughs) but he's like 70s, like dirty rock star hot. And so that's definitely not Christopher. But I think Billy Crudup, the actor, maybe I could see. Yeah, I just went and looked up some pictures of Billy Crudup just to refresh myself. And I think that he doesn't look like Christopher, but maybe a little bit around the eyes in certain pictures. Uh huh. I, I don't think Christopher looks like any of these people, to be completely honest. <laughs> but I, I you know, love the idea of them trying to figure out who he looks like. Yeah, and it's such a typical thing. I mean, we, we all do that. They're trying to like paint a picture in their game of telephone. <laughs> Right, exactly, because they need a way to describe him. That's a good point. That's why they're doing it. I do agree with Jackson, though, that Christopher has a money nose, and I don't know how to describe that. What? But like, he has like a finely chiseled, like nice nose. I know it's supposed to be a ridiculous description, but like he kind of does. Christopher is very well cast. I think. Like, I yeah. think that this would be a role that would be really easy to cast incorrectly, and by nailing the casting here, they like made the character of Christopher works so much better than it would have if virtually anyone else were in the role. That doesn't mean I want to have David Sutcliffe life coach me, but I do think he's very good. (laughs) I do. (laughs) I'll let you know how it goes. You and Ebo can go to the session together. I obviously want to come, but I want to be in the background. I do not want to be in the I also love that Rory wants to get the compact Oxford English Dictionary. It is very close to my heart as a person in English. And I also think it is like the biggest nerd move possible. Like, I think that is the nerdiest single book you could ask for. And yes, it's huge. For sure. um, I don't know you could buy one. Yeah. So my dad had one that was two volumes in a beautiful slipcase. And every time that Alfred would come over to my parents' house, he would just was like in awe of it. And one Christmas, my dad gave it to him and it was like the greatest Christmas present ever. That's so nice. Oh, I love yeah. that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, so Alfred has his OED and it is huge. <laughs> and this one is huge too. I always yeah. wonder how much it could have possibly cost. Like it's so funny Do that. Do not say? I don't think they say. Let's look it up. I thought it was like $150. Well, I don't know why I have that in my brain. <laughs> I thought it was like 150 to 200 Oh my God. Okay. This cannot be the actual case. It looks like it goes for like $1,000. There's no way that's true. Okay. That's the Ox- by compact Oxford English Dictionary. All right. Yeah. Okay. The compact Oxford English Dictionary is a, probably anywhere from like 130 to like 350 So okay, it's still... Yeah. It's a lot of money. It's. I always thought it was really funny that like he asked to buy Rory a book and she picks the most expensive one, which is not not like it's you know, I know. something, but like she's not trying to be superficial or take advantage of him. It's just like it's really funny that he probably expected to spend like twenty five dollars, and then it's yeah. this. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, and she like she's like apologizing and telling him no, no, it's too expensive. But yeah, he goes up to the cash register and his card is declined. And uh, Andrew is trying to be discreet, but it comes across as really sad. Yeah, I think it's a great way to show, just like a very simple and effective way to show that like behind all his bravado, Christopher has a lot of other stuff going on and is not as successful as he seems. Yeah. 
Like it's it's probably the most effective way you could show it, I think. And it's it's brutal because it's in this move where like he's trying to make things up to Rory and he's trying to like show his daughter how you know successful he's become and how far he's come. And then it's just like the whole thing comes crashing down at this moment. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah. And then as they're walking away, he's like, and now you really remember me, which is super sad. But then he ruins any goodwill that I have towards him, feeling sorry for him by saying, don't tell your mom, which, oh, no, 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 no. I hate that. Like, I can see his rationale behind it, but it's such an immature thing to do, which Lorelai will later call him on. But like, yeah. Later when he's like, I can't believe she ratted me out. Like, Christopher, come on. Yeah. I also think it's really funny that when like Jackson, they come out and they find Jackson talking about him. (laughs) Jackson like, you know, sort of like walks off and he tips his hat like a little bit and he's wearing a skull cap and he tips like the rim of his skull cap. And then he does this run across the street, like a little penguin, which looks exactly like Kirk's run away from the softball game, which is also like a little penguin run. And that's the way I run. And I feel the scene. Yeah, it's so 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 then we move to Lorelai getting coffee at Luke's and Luke awkwardly brings up that he saw Rory with a guy who Lorelai reveals is Christopher Rory's dad this is like the only scene that I don't think works like amazingly well I think the whole like guy who impregnated me with Rory banter they have here is like not quite as witty and funny and like endearing as they think it is I just think it comes off as mostly bizarre I don't know do you have a different opinion I like it. I think it's funny. He when he Luke is like, oh good, he did a good job. And she's like, impregnating me with Rory. And that it's not even funny. the joke. Yeah, it's the way that he like runs away. Like, I don't know. I just think it's like a, a cute, kind of throwaway funny scene, much like Kirk and Jackson just running. That's true. <laughs> and then <laughs> Emily calls, right? First of all, I want to want to point out that Christopher using his cell phone in Luke's is the only the first example of how Christopher will blatantly disrespect Luke. <laughs> no, I completely agree. And I think the blatant disregard for the sign is supposed to prejudice us against Christopher slightly. Because Lorelai yeah. points this out to him. Lorelai, who doesn't like the rule, and then he's like, whatever. And yeah. Lorelai can disrespect the rule because she's Lorelai and she has like a rapport with Luke. But like, Christopher's just some random guy. Like, shut up, Christopher. <laughs> Yeah, I think it tells you a lot about him. And I I know it's like a small thing, but I I really do think it's like, yeah, he yes. thinks he's someone who's above the rules, you know? Yes, yes, I think that's exactly right. This episode has a lot of small moments that say a lot mm-hmm. and that are like yeah. more effective than than like large blow-up scenes. Even though the large blow-up scenes in yeah. this episode are also very good. Which, so the- speaking of... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're about to go into one. Yeah. Yes. So Emily had called and invited Christopher to Friday night dinner because Strobe and Francine, his parents, are visiting Connecticut from the Bahamas where they have bought a house after they retire. I can't picture them in the Bahamas. I always thought that was weird. They should be like in Turks and Caicos or St. Barth or something, but whatever. I, no, I, that never like registered in my brain. There are so many things that just hit me for the first time on this rewatch. And even still, I was like, I must have misunderstood. <laughs> Those two do not live in the Bahamas. And if they do, it's some weird, like, colonialist dream where, like, they're being fanned with, like, you know, palm leaf fans and being waited on and they wander around in all white, like. Exactly. And, like, there's another part, I think it's also in season one where, like, 
Lorelai mentions that Richard and Emily went to the Bahamas at one point. Maybe it's next season. And I'm like, I can't picture oh, Richard. The Bahamians. The Bahamians. The Bahamians. I can't picture Emily yeah. and Richard in the Bahamas. Like, absolutely not. No. They're not going no. anywhere. To if they are, they're going to like St. Bart. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I just assumed that they were visiting from upstate New York or from, I don't know, uh, some other yeah. very white, very conservative place. <laughs> I think that's before they were like had a handle on the kind of rich these people are, which is very and right. different. Right. Yeah. So I love the visual when Rory and Lorelai and Christopher show up. Rory is standing behind Christopher and Lorelai and it's like a shot of both of their backs and them facing the Gilmore's house. I think it's really cool filmmaking. I love Lorelai's outfit here, especially with the long coat and gloves. And then when she takes it off, you see like the killer tight skirt dress combo she has. And I love her wavy pinned back hair in this scene and throughout the whole episode. Yes, this outfit is like when I was in middle school and I imagined being like a sophisticated adult. <laughs> like, yes. That's how I wanted to dress. Yes, and the skirt too. Like that was when that that whole like yes. quasi Chinese thing was in, which is like problematic. But I also think Lorelai looks really good in it. Yeah, I love it. Oh, one thing that's kind of weird though, that like I understand, like there's a reason for it. But she lets herself in. She has a key. She lets herself into the house yeah. instead of knocking and having the maid open the door. And they address it by saying that. Emily had just given her a key and then Emily's like oh that was for emergencies only and she gets really offended that Lorelai like just walked in I, I just I mean okay I guess it's just like the night is bad from the start maybe that's the reason yeah. that I agree with you I'm always trying to figure out what the significance of that is and I have never been able to figure it out like why does that happen I don't know and then Lorelai's like, she set me up with that key, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. But it's, I keep thinking that it's supposed to reflect, as you, you pointed out, like some of the dialogue in this coming scene is very on the nose, like, mm-hmm. they're immature. It's like they're 16 again, you know? Yeah. So maybe there's something about like letting herself into her parents' house. Oh, yeah, right. Like she would be doing if she yeah. were still like a kid living here. I think that's yeah. interesting. I think it doesn't quite fit, just like nothing quite fits for this because it's like, what? You know, like it's such an odd moment. And then things get much, much, much worse very quickly. So before (laughs) that, Richard is really effusive in talking to Christopher and asking him about his business. And Christopher says it's going really, really well, which we already know isn't true because his credit card got declined. So we know he's lying and we're like, oh, geez. And Emily and Richard are like gushing over Christopher to the extent that they're crediting him with things for stuff he wasn't ever good at, like uh, having a musical talent. And then at one point they say they wrote, he wrote the song Summertime from You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. <laughs> Richard was like, he was like, did you write that? He's like, well, he could have written that. <laughs> He's a very talented man, Lorelai. It's so like that's, This is a realistic scene. Like, do you, are you ever around your parents and they have, like, one friend or, like, cousin of yours they really like and they're just, like, flattering, like, saying praise to them that, like, has is absolutely, like, not true and you're just like, what? I don't know. Maybe my parents are yeah. just like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I am very <laughs> excited that this is the Chuck Berry scene. It's when we find out that Richard is a Chuck Berry fan. It's one of my favorite conceits throughout the show. His line delivery of it, he goes, I'm a Chuck Berry man myself. <laughs> And Lorelai, like, almost <laughs> got her drink because she's like, was that pre-my-dingling? 
which is a Chuck Berry song. Have you ever heard? <laughs> So like my no, dad, I know nothing about Chuck Berry. Okay, my dad is a, so Chuck Berry is like a famous black rock star in like the fifties and sixties and seventies, and he has um like Johnny B. Good is Chuck Berry, like, like that famous that's really famous, and oh, um, and also is a future. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> but he also did like a weird song called My Diggling in like I think his later career. And my dad is a huge Chuck Berry fan. And for whatever reason, that's always the song I associated with Chuck Berry. So when I first heard I <laughs> say that, I always had a heart attack. I swear. So like, it's one of my favorite things. I love Lorelai being surprised by what Richard likes. And I love that they continue it throughout the show because Rory gets Richard a Chuck Berry record for Christmas one year. And then they have the Chuck Berry record in his grave. And that oh, in the revival, and that always makes me cry. Like I think that's like the saddest moment of the revival for me. I completely lose it. It just, it just, oh my god. So I, I got so excited when this scene came up because I think it's so great. Yeah, there's so much in this episode where Richard and Emily get fleshed out as real people and not just like Lorelai's parents or the sort of quasi villains of her <laughs> her narrative. And this is this is part of it, showing that Richard, you know, has and well, we'll talk about this when she and Richard get in their their fight. But, you know, that Richard like has interests that Lorelai has never investigated. Like she yeah. doesn't know anything. She's always like, you don't know anything about me. But 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 yeah. she doesn't know anything about them because she doesn't ask and she doesn't see them as people. Yes, I think that's so right. And she thinks she has their number like she thinks she knows everything about them. But really, she doesn't at all. It's interesting yeah. because it, it's clear that like knowing people and based on like who they were in the past and like bothering to get to know them is such a, a theme of this episode with Lorelai and Christopher. Yeah. And I, I didn't think of that in in the context of Richard and Emily and Lorelai. And then we have two people who yeah. have no interest in getting to know Rory, Strobe and Francine. Are Strobe and Francine the two worst people to ever appear on the show? Yes. <laughs> no hesitation. Yes. I think so. I did some thinking about this. I think the only person who competes with them is Mitchum Huntsberger and his wife yeah. Sheila. But Ooh, like, she's pretty bad. She's pretty, they're both bad. So I think they're they're like top four for me. But they are awful. Yeah. I have okay. I haven't watched any Mitchum scenes in a really long time and and we won't talk about him for a while a while <laughs> um clearly we're still doing one but part of me feels like reassessing mitchum huntsberger just because yeah i think he's a bully but i but i think rory definitely overreacts and she is at fault in a lot of ways then we won't get into that here yeah. but i think Mitchum is a businessman and he's he's kind of a bully and he's kind of a bully as a dad. But like Strobe and Francine, are, I mean, the way that they treat their granddaughter and the things that they say about, you know, young women and stuff in, in the scene, like, I just think, I don't think there's a comparison. Yeah, I think you have, you have, you have convinced me. I think the fact that, and something that really only sunk in with this watch of the episode for me is that Rory is 16 years old and Strobe and Francine haven't seen her since she was a baby. And they have lived in Connecticut for, you know, I, I know they're in the Bahamas now, but presumably they were in Connecticut for most of them. <laughs> and they never made an effort to see her. 
that they're her paternal grandparents. They're her Richard and Emily on Christopher's side. And as much as we can say that like Richard and Emily didn't have a super close relationship with Rory before this, like they still saw her a pretty decent amount and they wanted to see her. Like Strobe and Francine don't care about her at all. She's a complete non-entity to them. And that's so bleak. Like I, 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 the cruelty of that is staggering to me. Yeah. And then that the reason for that cruelty is because a 16, 16-year-old Lorelai seduced their perfect son and then kept the baby. And, like, to me, that's the only, like, maybe (laughs) – I don't know. I I just kept thinking, like, Strobe is full MAGA. But then I was like, well, I guess he supports abortion. But maybe only when it helps, when it benefits his family. (laughs) Actually, Strobe is not full MAGA because Strobe dies, like, (laughs) well before MAGA started. Because I always forget he dies, like, during the show. But, yeah, Strobe would be full MAGA. He's like an abortion for when it affects someone in my life, but not for other people person. Because he clearly has some awful views about women as like harlots and temptresses. Like when he says 16, that's a dangerous age to Rory. Oh my God. Ew. Well, and it's, it's, that's a dangerous age for a girl. Girl, Right. And also like, how did, to be honest, like how did Lorelai getting pregnant affect Christopher's life at all? Like it's not like they did get married. He continued in school. He just didn't go to college. Like he 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 was completely absent from her life. Like it, it they're using that Wait as a an second. Ex- right? I have never thought that through. You're 100% right. If they it's, had gotten married, it might have yes. affected his life. Yes. But it but didn't know. Yeah, like I mean, I guess he was like thinking about it like a lot, but like he didn't help care for her. He no. Not at all. Like, he, he didn't drop out of school. He presumably graduated high school. Like, I'm certain he did. He just didn't go to college. And I think that's what maybe the show is implying is, yeah. like, we use that as a convenient excuse for why Christopher didn't go to Princeton. But, like, he never would have made it through Princeton, as he says. And I think that's one of my favorite Christopher moments where he's, like, even if none of this had happened, I never would have made it through Princeton. And he's right. Like, he that's an accurate assessment um, of himself. It's, it's true that he on his own would never have made it through Princeton. My contention is that if he had been at Princeton, Strobe would have moved heaven and earth to make yeah. sure that he got all A's and that he did. But I like, okay, I can't believe that this didn't even occur to me earlier. It's like literally just occurring to me now based on what you said that like Lorelai left. Lorelai didn't follow the parents plan of getting married and Christopher getting a job at, at Richard's firm She left so that they could have lives. Yes. So that Christopher could go to college. She left when she was 17, meaning Christopher still was in high school. He could graduate. He could have gone to Princeton. He was gone. Yep. Why did he not go to Princeton? I think that, I think it's because he was the type of person who wouldn't have made it through Princeton. Like, I think that Lorelai having a baby had nothing to do with the trajectory Christopher was on. And even, I've always struggled to think like, is the characterization of Christopher as someone who is willing to get married to Lorelai consistent with the person we see Christopher becoming, who is like very irresponsible? And I think it, after long musing on my own part, I think it is because I think Christopher didn't realize what getting married at 16 really meant. I think yeah. for him, like, it seemed like the easy option. It was the option that everyone was pressuring him to do. 
And Christopher is that kind of person who, as he says later, when Lorelai asks, like, why he let Richard go on and on about his business when he knew it was failing, he's like, well, what? I didn't, like, want to rock the boat. I, I didn't want to, like, you know, make the evening worse. Christopher is the type of person who's like, okay, I'm just going to go on with it. But he had no idea of the consequences of that and, like, how it would affect their lives and the fact that he and Lorelai wouldn't have made it. And Lorelai is the only one out of the two of them who was mature enough to understand what that kind of decision of getting married would have actually entailed for their lives. Yeah, for sure. And then the other thing that I think I thought of this, I think it's something Richard says that's like, Christopher was mature enough to know that you make sacrifices, that you should have gotten married. But really, mm-hmm. when you think about what is maturity, yeah, taking responsibility for your own life choices, right? And living your life in a way that is like in line with your beliefs, doing exactly what your parents tell you to is immature. That's what children do, right? Yes. So would getting married at 16, would that was that the mature choice or was yeah. it just what the parents and also it's not just it's not just getting married at 16 it's having like living in their house and having the parents support them and like make all the decisions for them which is not mature but what is mature i think is like striking out on your own now i do think lorelei's decision to completely shut richard and emily out and to sort of not be cognizant of the pain that she was causing them was an immature thing to do because i think the scene where richard says like you have no idea what you put your mother and I through. Like your mother couldn't get out of bed for a month. Did you know that? And I, and Lorelai did not know that. And I think she really didn't think through yeah. the consequences of her parent of doing that to her parents. I think the reason she shut her parents out so much is because she didn't think they would allow her to be independent. So she was like, I just have to, yeah. you know, put up a wall. But I think that broadly, yeah, like what Richard and the whole family wanted them to do is not maturity. It would have been sort of like an escape hatch from like, this kind of like life-changing decision they made. It's like, okay, like, yes, this happened, but like, don't worry, we'll fix it. Yeah. And then like shifting from as, as I always think back to your point about, and we see her, her room here again in this episode, shifting from like this weird protracted childhood that Lorelai had where her, she's still living in like a little kid's room. Then it would just be shifting from that to a protracted adolescence which one could argue she's still in, but like where she's just like in her parents' house and yeah. Yeah, We're making all those decisions, those hard decisions for her. And I think that in rejecting that, she showed tremendous maturity. I know we're sort of shifting into the Richard and scene with Lorelai and I want to just put that on pause for a second because I do think there's more to talk about in this particular scene. I've always liked the fact that what gets Lorelai to do that whole like she has that outburst where she says, "I, I like I hate George Bush," and I, I think yeah. it's inexplicable <laughs> and feels immature unless you see like immediately what preceded it, which is Strobe attacking Rory. Yeah, like Richard and Emily are like Rory's a very special girl. She'll give you a run for your money, Strobe, and then she just can't think of something to say because this is such an awkward situation, and these are her grandparents who have never bothered to meet her. And then Strobe like, and I think this is such a cruel thing to say. He goes, "I think my money is safe." And you can see Rory's so Awful. humiliated. And then Lorelai, and as some, one of my favorite things that she always does, is she jumps in to like take the attention off someone else, particularly Rory, in an awkward situation, and to like put it on her, so like a, that other person won't continue to be attacked. And she's like, okay, like I'll let them attack yeah. me, so they don't attack Rory, which I love. I, that this always breaks my heart. I think it's so nice. 
Yes, but of course it backfires because oh, <laughs> it's a noble gesture, but it does not go well. <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah. And by saying by saying I think Strobe would be MAGA, um, what I mean is just that he is a deep, clearly a deeply conservative yes. uh, American, uh, rich American man who you know wants to support George W. Bush. <laughs> I love when in the face of this disparagement. Lorelai says, his face is too tiny for his head. And Francine says, his face is too tiny for his head. What kind of a thing is that to say? In her like little voice. <laughs> oh my God. And then we have uh, Richard's like- then, Before we talk about Richard's outburst, you wrote down exactly what pushed Richard to this outburst. And that is, first of all, Strobe is like just insulting everyone. Well, mm-hmm. mostly just the women- yeah. Lorelai and Rory. He, you know, says that Lorelai has a blue collar position, calls running an inn, working in a hotel. But then he says, our son was bound for Princeton. It's a humiliation we've had to live with every day that he didn't go. All because you seduced him into ruining his life. And then he's like, she had that baby. She ended his future. Oh my God. Uh, it's awful. I think it's the single most awful thing anyone says on the show, except for Maybe some of the Mitchum Huntsberger stuff. But that I think is way more defensible than this, which is like bonkers. Yeah. It's so deeply misogynistic. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he so her. And he says, I don't care about how good of a student that girl is. Uh, our son was bound for oh. Princeton. Oh, it's awful. If if you're the episode is devastating for Lorelai, obviously, but if you're Rory, like I think you just want to die in these moments. Like, what an awful yeah. thing to well, who are your grandparents saying about you? Ugh. Yeah. I should uh, let viewers know that my notes are laced with all caps profanity. <laughs> <laughs> we are sparing you the yes. rage that I was experiencing. <laughs> oh, it's just so, it makes you so angry watching this episode. And they're awful. Yeah. They're awful without being like cartoonish. Like they're awful in a very believable way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. And it makes you like genuinely like you know sometimes people are so like ridiculously angry on TV shows or ridiculously awful that you're like whatever. This is like you feel like yeah. they're real people and you want to just hit them, which Richard does. He gets yes. up, yeah. He picks Strobe up by like his lapels. <laughs> it's so funny, and he hits him. Yeah, I think the thing that really like is enraging to me. As, maybe it's just like the current political moment that we're in, but just this notion that Strobe genuinely believes that he should have like the power over a woman's yeah. body, like <laughs> that Roy's, because it's not just Lorelai, it's that Roy's existence shouldn't be because he yeah. doesn't want it, you know? You've come to know Rory so well as like this complex, awesome person. And then it's just like, Rory doesn't deserve to exist because she ruined Christopher's future. Yeah. <sighs> and and, and this moment with Richard is amazing, but also deflating because we know what's about to happen. But in the moment, it's wonderful. <laughs> yes. And I think that's why it's so deflating in the next scene, because you're like, yes, Richard, like, look at him finally standing up for Lorelai. And he loves her clearly. And like, look at him defending her. And then like, oh, my God, the next scene. Yeah. Do you want to go into it? So, it? yeah. So Lorelai goes to Richard's study to thank him for defending her because this is this amazing moment. Like we've never seen Richard act like this before. And he's seems to be standing up for Lorelai's honor. 
Richard insists he didn't do it to protect her, but because she's, well, because she's made it very clear she doesn't need protecting is what he says. He says it was because a member of his family was being attacked and the Gilmore name was being attacked. Um, oh. He won't stand for that in any circumstances. Uh, and then Lorelai tries to kind of salvage it. And she's like, well, it doesn't really matter why you did it. And he's like, it matters tremendously why I did it. And it's important that she understands why. And that what he doesn't want her to take away from this is that everything that she put them through is fine. And he talks about how difficult it was for him to like tell his friends that his daughter, the brightest in her class, was having a baby and dropping out of school. Which, like, okay, that must have sucked. But the Emily stuff is what makes me really sad. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you leave us, you treat us like pariahs. You know, your mother couldn't get out of bed for a month. Did you know that? And that just really breaks my heart. It's moments like this that make me, like, I'm the most ardent Lorelai defender ever. But make me feel really sad for Richard and Emily. I don't agree with the logic of, like, defending the family name here at all. And I wish he were defending her. But just, like, yeah. when they talk about, like, just how devastating it must have been to have her leave... It makes me really sad. And when he says, we did nothing to deserve this. And I think that in a lot of ways, Lorelai had to cut them out in order to flourish independently. But it was also a really cruel thing to do. Yeah, for sure. And then, like, even though Richard mentions, he says, I had to tell my friends, my colleagues, that my only daughter, the brightest in her class, was pregnant and leaving school. There is that. Like, he is shaming her for getting pregnant. But ultimately... The reason he's upset and the reason it's like very firmly established that the reason that he and Emily have been so devastated is not the same reason that Strobe and Francine yeah. are. They, It's not that they they feel that she brought this shame upon the family and she ruined everything, she ruined the fut- her whole future. It's that she left. That's the hurt is that she yeah. disowned them, you know? It's so important that the show establishes that they're upset for different reasons than Strobe and Francine are. And I think it works so well. Yeah. Rob and Francine's position is one you can get angry at and that's super reactionary. You can be like, oh, they're awful. But like Richard and Emily, as, as awful, you know, as, as I guess like a bummer as it was that Lorelai had to drop out of school and you had to tell all your friends and that sucked. Like, you're right. It's They would have they would not have been having this conversation if Lorelai had had the baby and like even not married Christopher, but like stayed in the house or left after a yeah. couple of years and kept in touch with them. Like the original rift here is her leaving and I think that that yeah. is less clear in the early seasons, but becomes very clear in season three when they have that Dear Emily and Richard episode. Yeah. And you see, she was there kind of for like a year before she left, and she left without like doing anything but leaving a note. And it's really cruel. Oh, yeah. I hate that. I just really hate it. I just can't, I can't defend that. I think it's awful. Yeah. You know, she's punishing them, and they want Rory in their lives you know they want Lorelai too and I think up until this point the show has like sort of dropped hints about this but it becomes so clear with this juxtaposition with Strobe and Francine that really the betrayal was the the leaving and then well there's a comment we should probably talk about what he says about Christopher but I'm so excited to jump to the Emily (laughs) oh I know okay so we'll do it really really quick so basically Lorelai says and it sounds bratty when I say it but it's actually not when she says it she's like well Christopher, you know, was the one who wanted to do what was expected. And Christopher, you seem to, you know, love him and think he's a success. Like, why don't you just, you know, have him as your son? And Richard is like, 
don't be naive, Lorelai. And I love that he sort of drops that facade there of like, oh, I'm super happy for Christopher. He's like, you think I love the man who got you pregnant? I want to kill him. But there was like a proper thing that was supposed to be done and Christopher was willing to do it. And I think that I am on Lorelai's side in the sense of like the fact that Richard can't see that having to do what's right for family honor and having to sort of preserve appearances in this way of getting married would have been very limiting. And Richard is all about sacrificing the individual will for the good of the family. Lorelai's right that he can't see that that can be really damaging to people. And when she says, I feel indescribably sad for you right now, dad, I think that's another just really devastating moment. Yeah. Yeah. And part of me almost agrees with Richard a little bit, just in in the sense that things turned out really well for Lorelai and that's great, Mm -hmm. but it might not have been the case. And I don't know, like maybe it's just because I'm at a point in my life where I feel very risk averse. (laughs) Like, (laughs) just stay with your family, just be safe. And it, yeah, I, don't know. I think you're right about that. I think that we see Lorelai as it's turned out, which is like awesome. But they really didn't know what she was going to like do when she left. And like, there's a big scary world out there. And I can totally understand like, you only have a high school, well, you don't have, she didn't, I don't think she had her GED yet. No. You don't even have your GED and like, you're just going out into the world with no money with your kid. Like, what are you going to do? Where are you going to live? Are you going to be homeless? You know? And that's yeah. why Emily freaks out episodes when she sees that they were essentially living in that like garden shed because she's like oh my god like what and 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 it's so pretty and cute but right but you can't see that yeah but then we have a happy scene (laughs) a cute so happy this is one of my favorite scenes i think of in all of gilmore girls seeing emily step up makes me so happy completely agree do you want to take us through it Sure. So Emily walks in looking for Rory, but she finds her in the kitchen and Rory's clearly upset about everything that's just happened. Yes. Emily like tries to stand up for Strobe and say, she's like, he's a good man. He's one of the top lawyers in his field. A very, very arcane hard. aspect of international law. <laughs> it's so perfect. And then she's like, his charity work has never diminished over the years. And like, the timing of this is so perfect because I think if it had been too fast, it, the joke would have fallen flat, but it's so perfect. There's this like a beat, beat. And then she goes, oh, let's face it. He's a big ass. And it's like, <laughs> yes, yes. That's great. That is not my my VIP Emily moment though. It's that she leans in. She's like getting Rory some food because they never had dinner. Yeah. And she tells Rory that she knows Rory heard a lot of talk about various disappointments in the past but she wants to make sure Rory knows, quote, you young lady, your person and your existence have not been even for one second included in that list. And I got, I just like got choked up. It's so good. Oh my God. And it's, of course it's what Rory needs to hear because like, yeah, she just heard that she ruined Christopher's life and potentially Lorelai's life and that she doesn't matter. And that her grandparents on the other side resent her existence and don't care about her at all. So. Yeah. And then, you know, she's just seen Christopher's card get declined. She isn't blind, um, even though she acts a little oblivious later. But, you know, she knows that he's not doing great. She knows that his relationship with his parents is not good. She knows that Lorelai and Richard and Emily's relationship isn't good. And, like, I think you pointed out, like, you haven't thought as much and we haven't talked as much about how devastating it must be to 
feel like the reason, like your existence is the reason for all of this. Oh, it's so awful. I just always leave this episode feeling so bad for Rory and not even just in this moment, but like how awful it must have been to have this hanging over her head her entire life. Like you're always thinking about like, as it turned out, like you're the reason your mom didn't go to college and didn't have like a different kind of career. And you're the reason your dad didn't go to Princeton. Like she's constantly has to like think about that fact. And it's terrible. It's terrible. And as you pointed out, it's not true. It's not true. And like Lorelai probably ended up a lot happier than she would have if she had gone on like the path that Richard and Emily had planned for her even before she got pregnant. Like it's it's not true. But yeah. how if you're 15, 16 years old, how can it be possible not to internalize that? Which to me is of yeah. course directly related to Rory's, you know, bid for perfectionism and being like, I'm gonna go to the best college yeah. and I'm gonna be perfect. And yeah, it's just it's dark. But it's very well done. For sure. <laughs> show wise yeah yeah I love this scene yeah and it's just so rare that we get to see Emily being really maternal like in a healthy way (laughs) and you wrote that you're just fully seeing how ready Emily was to be a grandmother and how that was taken from her made me so sad when I read that yeah kind of just the emotional weight of all of this really hit me in this rewatch And maybe it's because this might be, since I do tend to skip this episode, this might be the first time that I've watched this episode after watching the revival. Wow. Okay. And I think it really resonates in a different way after the revival. Yeah. Seeing Emily's growth makes me kind of put her in a different light. But I have, I've watched a lot of Gilmore Girls. I just don't think I've watched this particular episode because it's so emotionally trying. As someone who loves the drama, I love this episode, even though it is hard to watch. (laughs) Hashtag Casey Jordan. Hard to um, <laughs> and then so Christopher finds Lorelai out on the balcony in her old bedroom. And obviously they commiserate about how awful the night was. And then they start reminiscing about their childhood slash teenage times out on the balcony. I love when they say they saw Mrs. Dominsky undulating in her big fat underalls. Not that I endorse them describing her this way, but it is a very vivid image. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I want to note that as much as I love this episode, and trust me, like, I love it, Christopher saying that on the balcony, this was the spot upon which was Rory's initial emanation almost ruins the entire episode for me. It makes me want to die. I'm not being sarcastic. Like, I'm not using hyperbole. I just shrivel. What the frig? Like, ew. I've never registered it, ever. It just went right over my head. I wish I could go back to that moment where I didn't hear it. Oh, God. Yeah, I think I wouldn't have clocked it if you hadn't written it down. And then I was like, oh, no. As I typed it, I was like, I had to look up how to spell emanation. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not a great speller. Oh, which, by the way, strobe is actually straub. It's S-T-R-A-U-B. Is that how you for, spell for, it? Because you is that a real name? Okay, well now I feel stupid. I always assumed it was yeah. like a stroke. Like a disco ball. Like a stroke. No, me and you. Stupid. Oh my god. I looked it up because I was like, is this like a nickname? Like, why is he called Strobe? Not that I think that Strobe is like in the club. Like <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe he's like partying this with the Bahamians. Bahamanians. <laughs> 
Yeah. And they were just like, yeah, yeah, Billy, your name is Strobe now. I don't know what I thought. If someone's good at art, can they draw a disco strobe for us, please? (laughs) But I Googled it and, and no, it is S-T-R-A-U-B and it is, it is a name. It's a German name. No, it is a name. It's a German name. I don't know why I didn't put it together. I guess because I've never met anyone named Strobe, S-T-R-A-U-B or S-T-R-O-B-E, which is apparently not a name. So... (laughs) (laughs) But I do love, I feel like Strobe and Francine are perfect names for them because they're such like stuffy, especially spelled that way. Oh, like, perfect. Oh, oh, they're perfect. perfect. I mean, I've always loved the name, but I was just like, what is that? Why is that? I found out. That's why you're a great host. You always go the extra mile. <laughs> but yeah. This yeah. What a- do you think though? What do you think about the clandestine balcony um, hookup? <laughs> Unfortunately, I think it works thematically for the show. Ew, number one. Number two, I'm always like, where does Emily think they are during this point? But I guess she's having like a heart to heart with Rory. I I don't know. Like they just disappeared. Maybe they just thought they were, people just thought they were talking. Maybe Emily made some food for herself too. And then she and Rory ate in the kitchen. They have to have time to eat. I think that even like in the beginning of the episode when Suki is like, do you think you and Christopher are going to like, you know, and Lorelai's like, I don't know. Suki's like, that's convincing. Like, I think Lorelai probably knew they were going to hug up. Here's the thing. I'm not pro Christopher. Again, I think it's kind of hot. I think the like whole balcony situation, the stress leading to this moment. I think it's, I'm kind of into it. (laughs) It's it's heavily implied throughout the show that Christopher is very good in bed. Not in this episode, but like in (laughs) the universe. And I'm like, like a lot. It's applied a lot. And, um, (laughs) I, I buy it. Absolutely. Christopher's hot and he's in his hottest here because I, we talked about this last episode, but like they can't figure out his hair for a while, but like, this is a good Christopher moment for him. And he and Lorelai have great chemistry. Yeah. So I absolutely buy it. Yeah. So, but then the camera cuts to Luke waiting outside Aww. the diner Aww. because it's so sad because like Lorelai, I think the viewer has totally forgotten that she signed up to help him. Right? Like, I forgot because it happened last episode. And you're like, oh, your actual response will be, like, just what Lorelai's response is, which is, like, a slow motion. Like, oh, no. And he's so hurt. Yeah. And we've just had, like, their budding relationship. And then now she's hooking up with Christopher. And it's kind of short. Oh, it's awful. Well, and it's particularly sad because Luke doesn't open up to anyone, you know? And painting the diner isn't just... It's not just Lorelai, like, not helping him out on a project. It's, like, his yes. dad's diner. And she oh, knows what so that means, like, painting it. He hasn't been yeah. painted since he was since he passed away. and Or, like, he was the last one who painted it or whatever. And then yeah. Luke has just, like, opened his heart and showed her, oh. like, the first order. And yes. so it's really meaningful for Luke. Oh, right. I and didn't then, even think about it, like, from that angle. Oh, that's so awful. Oh, God. He slams the door to the diner and his heart. (laughs) Oh, my son, you're right, though. That is what it's supposed to be. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. And so then back to the balcony, Lorelai and Christopher putting their clothes back on. Christopher's like, that was great. And Lorelai's like, yeah, uh uh-huh. Like, this night is freaking crazy. (laughs) My parents have to seal those windows up. I swear to God. I love that line. And then Rory, like, asked where they were. And it seems like she may have known that they hooked up. I think I agree with you that, like, she's kind of aware that something happened. Maybe not that they, like, slept together. 
And then Lorelai takes Rory into the kitchen and has like another version of the talk that Emily had with her where she, and I love this parenting moment. She makes sure that Rory knows that they weren't really talking about her. Lorelai's like, all those people saying horrible things tonight were directing them at me, not you. And then Rory says, they were directing them at you because you had me, which is heartbreaking. And then it gets worse when Rory says, they don't even want to know me, do they? And I think Lorelai does really good damage control with this. She says that Strobe and Francine are too full of anger and stupid pride, and it gets in the way of them realizing how much they really want to know Rory and that it's their loss. And I think that's a perfect response because she can't be like, no, they don't want to know you because that's true. But like, she can't deny that because Rory's aware of it. But she's like, look, that's their fault, essentially. And then she says, no regrets from either me or your dad about Rory, at least. Maybe not the misspelled tattoo. (laughs) On the trip to Mazatlan, Christopher <laughs> has, I wonder what it says, of an enduring you know, they, they bring up Mazatlan again. Remember, Emily makes quail Mazatlan for all of oh, them. God, I forgot about that. The disgusting quail that they like spit out in the napkin. And that's when Christopher is, oh, yeah. is like together with Rory and Lorelai. So maybe like Mazatlan yeah. is, is the through line there for their relationship. Nice catch. <laughs> wow. And then... <laughs> I've never noticed this before, but like the scene ends where he leaves and like Lorelai looks at herself in the mirror and like pulls her shirt down and just says, ugh. And I love the little glimpse into like how the whole night and like sleeping with Christopher is kind of like impacted and confirmed her own self-perception. That's such a good yeah. like little, it could read, now that I like say it, it could read as a little obvious, but like it happened so quickly in the scene yeah. that I never noticed it before. And I think it's really good. Yeah. It's another one of those subtle moments. I didn't notice it either until you pointed it out. So, and then the next scene, you get Lorelai waking up in the morning and I say waking up, but it's sort of implied she's been like just laying there in shock. Yeah, I know. I'm like, like, is she like awake? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, well, basically what we see is her laying in bed, twirling her hair in anxiety, thinking, and then all of a sudden realizing, oh, I forgot about Luke. So she rushes uh-huh. in her I Love Lucy pajamas cut to she's sitting outside of the diner Luke walks up and she apologizes profusely but okay I have never really liked the scene because I don't understand why she doesn't tell him she doesn't have to tell him the whole story obviously she she doesn't even have to tell him I mean definitely shouldn't tell him about hooking up with Christopher but like okay it wasn't an emergency no but like that was a really bad night that was a very traumatic unprecedented night I agree with you. I think that maybe she felt like she was supposed to ask to get out of dinner. So maybe she's like, it would sound to say, because it wasn't like she was supposed to come over after. Like she was supposed to ask to get out of it, period. Luke sat there for a long time waiting. So she totally forgot just Christopher's presence. And I think she probably realizes that like that would sound really, really bad and kind of realizes that that's like implied by the fact that Christopher showed up and like Luke knows that she's kind of forgot. So, yeah, I also wonder why she doesn't explain herself further, but maybe there's, like, no explanation that kind of makes her sound better. You're right. She was supposed to get out of Friday night dinner. I assumed, because I forgot, (laughs) that she was supposed to come over after. Yeah. And that she forgot to come over after because of all the drama. But you're right. She was supposed to get out of Friday night dinner and... Friday night dinner was solidified at Luke's diner when Christopher ignores the no cell phone rule. Yes, which shows us how bad of an idea this is. And that Christopher's fault. Christopher's fault. 
And then, yeah. But so it she is brushes- kind of. It's like he blows into town. He doesn't care yeah. about anybody else's feelings. He walks all over Luke's rules. And then, and you know, and yes, it's Lorelai's responsibility to remember her, you know, promises. But at the same time, like he comes in, he's this agent of chaos that completely shakes everything up and innocent people like Luke get hurt in the process. I think you're completely right. And he, he like derails their whole life and like everything they had going on. And Lorelai, when she comes yeah. back and like talks about how bad she feels about all of this, she's like, and I know this part isn't your fault. Like the fact that she didn't go paint. And it's like, it kind of is Christopher's fault. But I love to see Lorelai yeah. acknowledge that she was not considerate of other people. So nice growth step, yeah. Lorelai. Though Luke does not forgive her. He is not happy. <laughs> no. But then we move into the pivotal scene. This one's a doozy. Wow. So Lorelai gets back home. She finds Christopher making coffee in the kitchen. He asks her if she wants some, and she says no, which obviously immediately alerts him to the fact that something is off. He's like, all is not in Whoville. I love Whoville. <laughs> Always glad to see a Dr. Seuss someone else. And he tries to talk about last night, and she reiterates that it was a disaster. I do love the Fred Mertz, I love Lucy reference, because I think it's like a great subtle way to establish how well they know each other, and that they're on the same wavelength yeah. to be like princes and stuff, which they will be throughout the show. Yeah. And she pointed out that she's wearing Lucy pajamas, which I never had noticed before. <laughs> I hadn't either. Well, he makes some comment about her Lucy reference and she goes, hello, pajamas. And I always thought she meant like, I'm really tired. I've, I've, I'm I still in my pajamas. And I just now realized, yeah, she's wearing yeah. I love Lucy pajamas. Yes, it makes more sense. I thought it made sense the first way too. So I did not watch I Love Lucy. I've never seen it. Maybe like an episode or something. But I know it's a classic, and I know it's very heavily influenced ASP, so. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I had not put that together before, but I was a huge fan okay. um, growing up. I would watch it with my mom and my grandma and went on, you know, Nick at Night reruns. I would, like, fall asleep to it in high school sometimes. And that show did so much for women in comedy, and mm-hmm. so it makes a lot of sense that – I don't yeah. know. I see Lorelai as kind of a, a Lucy-type not narratively at all, but just like with her wit and comedy and timing and everything. Completely agree with you. And the kind of like female character that Amy Sherman Palladino likes to write. Yeah. Yeah. So Christopher like interrupts Lorelai talking about how upset she is. But she says like in this whole flaming disaster, I'm the one twirling the baton because she's disappointed in herself for hooking up with Christopher and she's disappointed in letting Luke down. And I love that. I think it's, I love to see, as I said, her taking responsibility. But then Christopher interrupts by telling her that he wants to marry her. And then Lorelai says, and the hits just keep on coming. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. Not the time, Christopher. I love the dialogue in this scene. So I wrote a lot of it down. Lorelai insists that there is no way that this is happening. And Christopher asks, why not? Because the three of them are already a family. And then Lorelai asks him what he thinks a family is. He says it's people living together. And I think that is such good (laughs) writing. Like that's such a simple and effective and really brutal way to show exactly how immature Christopher is. And that he has no real conception of like what actually marrying Lorelai and being a husband and being a father to Rory would look like. And then Lorelai says that a family is a big commitment, responsibility, hard work, coming home to the same place and same time every day. To which Christopher responds, and this is even worse, that if she wants fight, oh god, financial yeah. statements, he can give them to her. <laughs> like Christopher, that's not which, what she needs. 
but also he knows that he can't so what (laughs) (laughs) but like the fact that for christopher like stability means like she's like look i have a couple pay stubs like don't worry about it but like he's lying as you said even there like he he's on a like a foundation of sand essentially yeah and then when he says that he's responsible now Lorelai tells him he can't even buy a book without having his card declined and then he gets really mad at Rory as we said earlier for like quote-unquote ratting him out and Lorelai tells him that actually no she didn't everybody from Stars Hollow told her Rory only confirmed it when she asked (laughs) and she's really pissed and I think rightfully so that Christopher asked Rory to lie to her and he says, she's my daughter, too. And Lorelai says, more like your playmate, which is brutal. And true. It's true, though. Yeah. Lorelai pulls yeah. no punches in this argument, but she is not wrong at all. Yeah. It's just like we were saying, like, he's just been this chaotic presence in their life. And he's happy if he gets to go to softball games and, you know, walk around Stars Hollow. But that's not what being a dad is. <laughs> yeah. Just hanging out. Right. Like, you're just her buddy. Like, Exactly. And that's why I think yeah. Playmate really nails it. And then they like really diffuse the tension for the viewer here because it's getting like real heavy in this real heavy episode. And when Christopher's like, I'm just as mature as you are, Lorelai tells him, The offspring is your favorite band. And then they have a point about the offspring versus Metallica, which I think is a great way to like make the viewer feel like, okay, it's not it's not too much for me. And both you and I agree, like Lorelai is right. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously, she's right. And it also, like, it is kind of funny that they would choose, like, a kind of a pop punk band versus, like, Metallica is at least a legit band. I'm sorry, The Offspring. You are technically a band, but. As Lorelai says, Metallica is so much more substantial than The Offspring. Yeah, like, I'm, I I like Metallica. I'm not a huge Metallica person, but, like, and I like some of the Offspring songs, but, like, whose favorite band is the Offspring? That's so weird. (laughs) That is super weird. Yeah. When I think of the Offspring, I think of Idle Hands. They were the guest band at the prom on the movie Idle Hands, directed by Rodman Flender, Timothy Chalamet's uncle, and one-time director of a Gilmore Girls episode. (laughs) Which episode was that? Was that? Honestly. Was because I remember obviously we had an amazing discussion about it. I think it was the first one or maybe the second Evo appearance. So I think it may have yeah, been. The I think it was or like the fifth one. I don't know. It was so funny though. Yeah. But <laughs> oh honestly, like the Offspring is a pop punk band that would be the band at the prominent MTV movie in 1999. That should not be your favorite band. So weird. I do hate them, but that should not be a grown man's favorite band. It's not uh, even like- come at me, listener. Yeah, defend, I dare you to defend that. It's not even like a nostalgic choice either. Offspring are like still playing when this episode was filmed. So I'm always like, well, maybe it's a nostalgia thing. And then it's like not. Like they're cur- they were currently recording. It's just so bizarre. And then Christopher says that if he's so immature, then why was he the one willing to get married when she got pregnant? And Lorelai tells him basically what we've been saying throughout this episode, that they were too young to get married. And Christopher then says they aren't too young now, which I guess is technically true. And then she tells them that they can't get married because they don't even know each other as adults, which is true. And that's, like I said, that's what I love about their dynamic, that they know so much about each other as kids and young adults, but, like, have no idea about really how much work Lorelai has been putting into her life. He doesn't really acknowledge that stuff about her or know, or he's not interested in, like, Luke and the fact that you can't lose phones in Luke's diner and he thinks the town is kind of weird, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And then 
Christopher says they should get married and get to know each other as adults, which Lorelai says is very fiddler on the roof of you. <laughs> Great line. And Daniel Palladino loves fiddler on the roof. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, who doesn't? No. Who doesn't? Yeah, come on. And we all love the Stars Hollow production of Fiddler on the Roof. And then so Christopher's like, let's start getting to know each other now asks her what she wants to know. And then she asks him how his business is going. It's the first question. Oh. And like, he, he strikes out. He's like, <laughs> Lore. Lorelai's like, I knew it. Which like, yeah, we yeah. all knew it. <laughs> and then as we talked about before, she asks why he let Richard go on and on about how well he was doing. And Christopher said that he let it happen because he just wanted last night to be nice. Which, as I said before, is the essence of Christopher. He's weak. Yeah, and he let Lorelai and Rory be attacked. He could yes. have diffused that, you know? You know, that's so right. I haven't even thought about that, and I don't really know why. Like, Christopher should have been yeah. the one to stand up for them, not Richard. I mean, ideally, they should have both done it. But yeah. Christopher just sat there the yeah. whole time and kind of looked like a little kid, like, messing with his tie and having letting, having his mom, like, hector him to not mess with it. It was all about his self-preservation in the moment. Yup, exactly. Right. Yeah, and I think that's really damning. Nice, nice work pointing that out. Yeah. And then they say one of my favorite lines about Christopher, as I said, she says, you're not a loser. You're a liar, but you're not a loser. And I think that that really <laughs> who he is. <laughs> I think it's annoying. I just started thinking about this. Like, Christopher gives Lorelai this whole annoying speech, like in this, asking her to marry him. And then also he says he's been looking for a soulmate and he thinks she's the one and Rory might be the only kid he's going to have. And then Lorelai gives him like a very, very short version of a similar speech next season. And he flips out on her yeah. and is like, how dare you put that on yeah. me? Blah, blah, blah. Not cool. Yeah, not cool. And and like, once again, it's just self-preservation because he gets mad when she opens up to him then because mm -hmm. he has a girlfriend or he had things are going well for him. Yep. And he doesn't want that to be disturbed, you know? Yep, that's so true. Man, I'm getting mad at Christopher. <laughs> I do not like Christopher ever. I enjoy him as like a presence in the show, but I'm always like, oh, Christopher. Yeah. And like I said, this is the most tolerable I find Christopher throughout the show. Yeah. So that should say something. Yeah. And then he's like, says stuff about how he like couldn't be around Rory because it was too painful to like realize how much he missed her. And that I don't really buy that. <laughs> I want to buy it, but I don't think I do. I think Christopher yeah. believes that. But I don't know if that's, I think it was just yeah. easier to stay away in that it was more convenient for him. I don't think he's deliberately an absentee father. And I don't think he even like, and I think he does regret being an absentee father. But like, I think it would just be too hard emotionally for him to like step up to the plate to be around Rory. And I think that's why he hasn't yeah. done it. Yeah, basically. So Lorelai, you know, tells him don't stay away. Rory needs her dad, Christopher says, or her pal, right? And she's like, okay, I think you'd take a combo. So Christopher's outside getting ready to leave. Rory asks him to call when he gets home and to call more, and he promises he will. Christopher's getting on his bike, which, oh, by the way, we didn't even talk about Dean and the motorcycle. And oh, <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that can be in our wrap-up. Exactly. Um, so Christopher asks Rory to ask Lorelai if she'll reconsider. So presumably reconsider, you know, getting mm -hmm. married. Lorelai whispers in Rory's ear and so Rory responds to Christopher saying nope offspring sucks and Metallica rules so good. <laughs> and Christopher drives away but here's like okay Rory says he wanted you to marry him didn't he and Lorelai and Rory kind of get into this conversation 
this has always bothered me because I feel like Rory is disappointed and she's like, yeah. you know, you could work things out or, you know, we could be a family. And I think I've just, Christopher does seem like such a loser, <laughs> I hate to say it, yeah. a liar and a loser in this episode. And he brought so much chaos with him. And I just have always felt like, what's wrong with Rory? Like, can't she see that? But no, she's a child. <laughs> I, I think that's what I always come down on. Like, I can see Christopher's a loser and you can see he's a loser. But like, Rory can't see that. Like, he's her dad. That's all, you know, in some ways, that's all he is to her. And like, she can really always look past his flaws and have hope that things are going to be different. It is sad. And I don't know. I just really like this moment with Lorelai and Rory. And I like this outfit, Lorelai's outfit in particular. <laughs> but just like outside the house, it's, you know, maybe early afternoon, late morning, and they watch him drive away. And it's just the two of them again. And I just think it's a really nice scene. I love this scene. And I think Lorelai does a really good job handling such a difficult situation here. There's so many difficult situations yeah. she has to manage with Rory in this episode to like manage Rory's emotional stability. Yeah. And I think that what she says is that, you know, he's just not ready to take us on full time. He doesn't realize what that means. I think that's true. She's not lying to her. And it's also like, it's an explanation that makes sense and doesn't make Rory feel devalued or like she's not wanted. And I like that she says, you know, Rory's like, I still think there was something different this time. And she's like, maybe there was, let's keep the blankets out. Do I think Lorelai really believes there was something different? No, but I think that she's doing that for Rory. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Rory's heartbreaking. Yeah. Like, I feel so bad for her again. Yeah. It's a sad scene, but it's, it's a nice ending. And th- well, this could be the ending of the episode, but. <laughs> it's not. And I love that. What? <laughs> we see Luke walking up to the diner and we find that Lorelai has painted the entire diner. His bread guy let her in early, which this has always felt a little weird to me because it's established later that Luke gets is like, I mean, first of all, he like lives in the diner yeah. and he has to get there like to open at like 5 a.m. So how early did she paint the diner? Also, where was he coming from? I know. <laughs> no, I've never thought about that. Oh my god! But it's a nice moment. We shouldn't overthink it. Yes, we shouldn't <laughs> overthink it. It's fine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then I, I've always been a skeptic the, of the fact that Lorelai could have painted the diner so fast. But that's fine. That's fine. We're not going over it. It's fine. Because I think it's really cute. And it's a great way to make up for what happened. And they have some really cute banter there at the end about like getting curtains, getting manly curtains, which as you pointed out, like in the next episode, or the one after we find out that Luke does have curtains, like frilly girly curtains in his apartment. Yeah, I was like, maybe the problem with manly curtains is that they're too manly because Luke is a frilly curtain guy. (laughs) I do want to point out, too, that Luke asks where the guy is, and Lorelai says he's gone, and Luke apologizes, and she says, we'll be fine. And I think that's true. Yeah. You know, that's like a, a good encapsulation of it. And then the camera zooms out, and we get an exterior shot of the diner and stars hollow. And as I said before, it really feels like this could be the end of season one. Yeah. And I, I love that. We're about to get a whole new arc, but if the show had been canceled, which would have ruined my life, even though I guess in that alternate universe, I <laughs> don't know what I'd be doing with my life it would be satisfying in a way. And now we have a satisfying wrap up to part one of season one, and we're ready to plow ahead with some new storylines in part two of season one. Yay. Yay. Okay. And then of course they're going to readdress some points that like Max Medina, et cetera, that got brought up earlier. Right. (laughs) All right. Let's do segment. Do you have anything for beauty and fashion that we didn't talk about already? 
you know, for the most part, I mean, I think we kind of hit all the segments as we went. I didn't even write. No, I didn't write any. Yeah, I didn't write I, any down because like. Yeah, I think we got it. I do want to say the one thing about like pop culture is that I always thought this episode was named Christopher Returns because it's like Superman Returns and then Superman was played by Christopher Reeve. I don't know if that's going too far into it, but that's how I like it. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. I love that. Especially because he's like the, like a dual identity and he, I, yeah. yeah, I love that. Like he could be kind of a Superman character in Rory's mind. I was wondering, and this could be like a whole other thing. If maybe they named Christopher after Christopher Robin, because I was thinking like this sort of like eternal child figure, oh, kind of like a Peter cool. Pan. Yeah, and he is a Peter Pan. I don't know. Yeah, mm. I love, yeah, I love the double life thing too. So, do you have a Kill More Girls? Because mine is that Strobe has a secret life where he like goes full Patrick Bateman and like beats up and or murders <laughs> homeless people in his spare time. <laughs> I can see that. I do not have one except I wish that Richard had killed Strobe. <laughs> and then I would <laughs> watch them deal with the aftermath of that throughout the rest of several episodes. So I really wish that happened because that would be fun. Oh, <laughs> oh a darker one? A darker oh, one could be Strobe as a Jack the Ripper character because <laughs> he's <laughs> such a misogynist. <laughs> yeah, he hates women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what should we rate the episode? That's all yeah this is a 9.5 for me yeah that's what i was thinking too yeah this episode. it's got I think everything I, it's got everything stefan i think this is the best episode of the season <laughs> is it the most enjoyable one maybe not it's not like love and war and snow enjoyable where you're like yay but it's it's so good and i yeah. think it's really to the heart of everything the show is about yeah every aspect of the show from like quirky townspeople to Richard's musical tastes are developed. Yes. Um, it's great. Yeah. Yes. Shout out to Chuck Berry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Thank you so much for ringing the bell with us and we will be back soon. <laughs> Bye.